Greetings, brethren, all around the world. We're so glad to be here with you in this way. You, brethren, who are scattered from one end of the earth to the other, you, brethren, who are in the church that's doing the work of God today, and welcome to all of you new brethren. I'm so glad that hundreds of you have come with us this past year. We want to serve you as the living church of God and help you fulfill the purpose for which you created, the purpose for which you were born. We are preparing for a real government that's soon to be set up on this earth, and most of you realize that. This is feast is partly for that reason, and I think you know that. Why are we here? We're here to prepare for that coming kingdom of God. We're having a preview of tomorrow's world in this very festival. And we need to cry out. Notice what Jesus told us to pray for. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 6 and beginning in verse 9. Jesus said, In this manner, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's the first thing Jesus said to pray for. You hallow God's name, and then you ask for God's kingdom to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is not up in heaven. It is to come to the earth, and his will is to be done on earth, as it says, as it is in heaven. His kingdom is not going to heaven with nothing to do. His kingdom has everything to do with us being a part of it and being those kings and priests that Christ is now preparing to be in a coming world government. And so we're to pray, my brethren, and we're to cry out, O God, King, send Jesus soon. Please send Jesus soon. May your kingdom come. And as we see these catastrophes beginning to happen, Jesus told us back in Luke 21, when these things begin to happen, look up, for your redemption draws near. And it's bad, But it's going to get better. It has to get darkest just before the dawn. And as we see and read about and hear about and see on even television the terrible flooding in Queensland, Australia, and then droughts in vast parts of Australia as well, some earthquakes happening there, the horrible earthquake we saw a while back in in Christchurch in New Zealand, earthquakes in Chile, Earthquakes all over the world, and they're getting worse, and they're going around the ring of fire coming right down to California eventually, and we know that, and we know that we know that. God is beginning to shake the earth. As we see these earthquakes getting worse, as we see the terrible drought all through the southwest part of America and other parts of the peoples of Israel, some of the worst drought and heat and heat waves that we've had in modern times, and it's getting worse right now this past summer. And it's going to continue to get worse as we see the end approaching. And we need to understand. And we're going to have alternate drought and flooding, as Amos describes, is going to happen on the peoples of Israel unless we repent. And we in this work of God can help reach out to the world and help them at least have a witness. And maybe God will call additional thousands of brethren. We hope he will. Tens of thousands to come with us and we can help them and prepare to serve them in this, na- in this world, in this society, and how much more in the kingdom of God as these things speed up. These prophetic events, hunger is coming, the drought, the coming famine, the disease epidemics. Jesus Christ said these things will come and we need to realize it. He says, if you turn away from my commandments and despise my statutes and indicated if we get into adultery, homosexuality, and all the stuff we're getting into, even men, marrying men of all things, 
How far down can our peoples go, brethren, before God begins to shake the nations and wake them up? We're coming close to that time. As I get older and have seen these things happening now for some 61 years, a little over 61 years, by the time you see this, I will have been in the work of God, including my student days. It's exciting. Christ is coming soon, and we really do need to get ready. Please understand that, brethren. Christ is coming soon. Back in Matthew, and in the Psalm, Psalm 72, if you turn there, is a wonderful and inspiring Psalm telling about what's going to happen and what it's going to be like. And you and I can have part in it. And we're beginning to preview that in this very festival starting tonight. Psalm 72, King David of ancient Israel, or it's a king, a Psalm of Solomon here, perhaps. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the peoples, the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. Remember, God talks about Christ coming back with a rod of iron. He's going to deal very forcefully with these dictators. He's not coming as a small man, as the world pictures him, weak-looking and riding size-wise on a little donkey. He's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to shake the nations as they have never been shaken in human history. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure. Throughout all generations, she shall come down like rain upon the mown grass. Gentle rain, blessing the world, blessing the people finally with blessings, prosperity, peace, peace of mind and joy, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish. Those of us who serve God will flourish, will be blessed and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He says in verse 11, all kings shall fall down before him. All the kingdoms of the earth will be overcome by Jesus Christ and all the leaders will fall down before Christ or they will be removed. All nations shall serve him for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life. God's going to take care of the poor people, the downtrodden, the people who come back crying and weeping from the concentration camps of Europe and elsewhere. He's going to help them. He's going to comfort them. And we will be his servants. We will be his instruments to do that, to reach out to them. Say, come with us. It's okay. Christ is here. The true God has come back. It's okay. You're not going to be tortured anymore. You're not going to starve anymore. You're not going to hurt anymore. It's okay. God's kingdom is here. He's going to take care of the poor and the needy. He will spare the poor. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in his sight. He shall live and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made to him continually. Christ will literally be here as a king sitting on a throne in the city of Jerusalem. It's real. A lot of you have been to Jerusalem. It's not talking about something way off in the universe. It's not talking about something a thousand years from now. My brethren, these things are going to happen and are beginning to happen right now. And they're going to be fulfilled in the lives of all you younger people. Christ's kingdom is coming. Daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain on the earth. God will bless the crops and there will be abundance. 
Verse 17, his name shall endure forever, and his name is the long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. They will come to love God, and they will appreciate the opportunity they have to know the true God and Jesus Christ on this earth as king of kings, king over all the other kings. And you and I can get real and get stirred and prepare ourselves to be those kings ruling under Christ who is king of kings. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Thank God, brethren, we have part an opportunity now to reach this world with God's message before the end, to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the coming government of God to all nations so they can understand what's ahead. And we have the opportunity to preach the true name, the authority, the power, the wisdom, the glory of Jesus Christ, the true name of Jesus Christ, about the true Christ, not the false Christ, presented by this world's Christianity, but the true Christ who said, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the Christ who's coming back to restore that way of life, we can help prepare for that. My brethren, turn to Zechariah 14 now. Zechariah chapter 14, one we often read this opening night, but I think we should. And thousands of you, brethren, out there have not heard it that many times, probably, because the churches of this world don't talk about it. I never heard this in the church I was growing up in, the mainstream Protestant church. Why do they avoid this chapter? Because they think Christ is not going to really come back, or if he's coming back, they think he's going to waft us off to heaven, playing a harp, having nothing to do virtually. That's their concept. That's not God's concept. All of you, brethren, you newer brethren, understand this is the message of God out of your Bible. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil shall be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Yes, the city of Jerusalem is going to be split in two. It's already split in two. The way is being prepared already by world events for these things to happen. Then the eternal, the great God, Jesus Christ, shall go forth and fight against those nations. Yes, he's not coming back as a just a teacher, a savior. He's coming back as a savior, all right, to save the world, to save us from our own ways. But he's coming back as a conquering king. He's going to fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, the day he comes back, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, that big hill just east of Jerusalem. I've climbed it. Some of you have. A literal place. He's coming back to this earth. He is coming. Let's get ready, brethren. He is coming soon. Verse 9, And the people of the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Not up in heaven, king over all this earth. In that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. It says in verse 16, going right on through this passage, I can't read all the verses or we'd be here all night. Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, that's everyone, millions, are going to go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, Christ as coming king, 
and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not coming up to watch the Jews keep the Feast of Tabernacles. They, all the nations, are going to begin to do what we're doing tonight. We are pioneers, brethren, and you new people who've come with us, thank God for you. And thank God we can help you understand more fully the purpose for which God gives all of us life and breath, why we're here and where we're going and how to get there. This is part of our purpose being described. We're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and all nations will keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We're pioneers now doing it now so we can learn that way of life and teach that way of life to others as kings and priests under Christ in tomorrow's world. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth who do not come up, they're going to argue, well, we've heard this and we've heard that. That's too bad. Christ will be here. He's not going to mess around with their arguments anymore. They won't come up. He said on them, there will be no rain. He will literally cut off their water. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall remain, receive the plague. So a terrible disease epidemic or plague is going to fall with which the Lord strikes the nations, nations, whole world full of nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not coming up to watch others keep it. They're going to keep it the whole world. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Some people at that time, and I can picture especially the Arab nations, say, well, that's a Jewish feast. No, it's not. It's a feast of Almighty God, and it's right here in His Word talking about the time when Christ comes back and all the nations are going to keep it. And we know and we'll be teaching you through this festival how it's commanded for all the world, for all Christians of all times, God's people of all times, to keep this festival and to learn the lessons and the meaning of this festival. So let's understand it's an exciting time we're entering, and this festival should be very exciting and very meaningful to all of us. Let's turn back now, brethren, to the book of uh, Micah, the book of Micah, and I'm going to turn here to Micah chapter 4. Micah, in your Old Testament, inspired of God, referred to as a prophet of God in the New Testament, because Jesus said, live by every word of God. And the Old Testament was the only written word of God at that time. This is God's word for you and for me. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. God is speaking. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. term mountain often refers to kingdom, as most all scholars recognize. And it shall be exalted above the hills. The people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. The world doesn't understand His ways. God says literally dozens and dozens of things in the Bible that people make fun of, despise, don't want to do. They argue and argue against it. Yet it's very plain. Most of you are beginning to understand that. He will teach us His ways. We will walk in His paths. For out of Zion, the law. What law? Traffic laws? The law of God, obviously. The Ten Commandments, the way of God is going to go forth in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, rebuke strong nations afar off. He comes meaning business this time. He will teach the nations with force at the beginning so they will be willing to listen. They shall beat their sword into plowshares. 
They're going to quit arming and fighting and killing one another over and over as it's beginning to happen more than ever. And nation after nation, ethnic group after ethnic group all over this earth. No, there's not one great big war raging now as we had in World War One and World War Two, but there are literally dozens of little ethnic wars just sprouting up here and there and they're going to get worse. This world will be a mess when Christ comes back to save it. And he will be coming at the last minute, frankly, before man would destroy himself. He's going to have to come back to save the world from itself. And so a nation shall not learn war anymore, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. There will be capitalism. There will be personal ownership of property. Men will be blessed. There'll be landowners. They'll have their own little family alone. Each man will be the king of his family kingdom. There will be peace and joy and unity and prosperity such as the world has never seen all over the whole earth. Not just a few nations being blessed, but every nation being blessed. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the eternal of hosts has spoken. He has spoken, my friends. It shall be done. All right, let's turn now to 1 Corinthians in your New Testament. 1 Corinthians, if you would, in your New Testament. And I'm going to begin reading here something that I often refer to, but we've got to get our minds on that. And I and the other ministers throughout this festival will be explaining to you, brethren, the details of this, because this is one of the main reasons why we are called now. We are called now not just for our personal salvation. God could have waited and called us during the millennium or in the great white throne judgment. Why is God calling you and me now? One reason is to help get this message to the world and our hearts should be in it. Another reason is to prepare us to be those kings and priests in tomorrow's world under Jesus Christ. We're being prepared. Notice 1 Corinthians 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Why would you go down the street to some worldly judge? Often a judge that doesn't believe in a real God of any kind or else this is some pagan false religion. Why would you do that? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We're beginning to get ready to do that. We're training to do that. We ought to learn to make righteous judgments now. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Why don't you think that the church of God and the leading men in God's church are unfit to make wise decisions? You're rejecting what Christ is teaching us. We've got to understand that we, the weak of the world, are being trained to be kings and priests, and we ought to learn to practice, to learn to practice, to use this form of government today. I know that many churches don't get that. They don't seem to get it, and yet that's one of the main reasons we're here. That's why Mr. Armstrong talked over and over about the government of God. That was the first one of the restored truths that God put through in the church, through Mr. Armstrong. And yet people in so many groups have rejected that. They want to have politics and posturing and who you're going to follow and which way you're going to... They just leave out the faith and trust that Christ will guide His church and always has used a certain form of hierarchical government to do that and no other form of government. No other form of government has Christ ever used at any time. Get that. All right. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? 
We're being trained now through judging in the church, through learning and practicing the government of God to judge even the angelic hosts. Great spirit beings are going to be judged, are going to be guided, are going to be directed, to going to be managed by us. This word can be managed, as some translations say, judged or managed. We're going to manage angels. They're our servants even now. We will then be able to directly give them orders. We will be assigned perhaps so many angels. They will help us do this and do that. We will manage these great spirit beings. We will be over entire cities. And if we grow and overcome enough, perhaps even whole nations. And later, perhaps even whole planets in the vast universe and God's government of the increase of which there shall be no end, God tells us. It's awesome. We're being trained now to exercise this government. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint, or some translations have it, obviously it's implied here, the wording, why do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? In other words, why do you go down to some worldly judge when you're being trained and the leaders in God's church are being trained to make these judgments? I say this to your shame Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who would be able to judge between his brethren? It's a shame that people aren't willing in God's church to trust God's government. It's a shame that whole branches of God's church are unwilling to exercise the faith in God, to exercise His form of government and teach their people to learn and to practice and to exercise that very form of government that they're supposed to be training to use in tomorrow's world. What a strange thing. And yet people have always deviated. God's own people, Israel, has always deviated from God. They have wonderful sounding excuses, but they go the wrong way. God's way is to exercise His form of government and put faith and trust in Christ to guide it the right way. If we do what God says... It always turns out right. God's people, when they first are converted, they say, I can't afford to tithe. Mr. Armstrong wrote an article years ago about the man who couldn't afford to tithe. And yet when he began to tithe, he found he could tithe and God blessed him greatly for tithing. God causes it to work out right. Do what God says and you will understand it more later. But you've got to learn and practice the government of God and learn and practice every part We're training to be those kings and priests exercising authority over villages, over cities, over nations, perhaps entire planets. Who knows? In the kingdom of God, the government of God that is about to come back to this earth. Let's understand, brethren. You new brethren, please understand. It is real as you see all these things happening as you see nations coming down, as you see the whole upset and dictators being overthrown in the Middle East, as you see the United States of Europe forming even now, as you see the European Union coming apart and being reorganized with a whole new system and ten nations eventually giving their authority to one man, to one one nation, and then one man who will be the beast. As these things develop, As you see, the fact that China is not going to come up and be the great power, as so many pundits have said, they're not going to be. Rather, a European power is coming up. God's church only understands these things. The world doesn't. We do. So please understand that and realize that God is real and His Word is real. Let's turn now, brethren, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 
in your New Testament. And here is something I hope that all of you, brethren, can begin to think about as this festival gets underway. We're preparing all of us for a real government, for our part in the coming kingdom or government of God to be set up on this earth in, frankly, a very few years, probably within 10 to 20 years at the outside. I'm not setting it exactly. I'm just saying probably. It's coming soon, perhaps sooner than we realize In Philippians chapter 2, notice what the Apostle Paul wrote to God's people then, and we need to think about and meditate and pray about this as it applies to you and to me. Paul wrote, chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state." For all seek their own, not the things of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character. Timothy was humble. He was kind. He was obedient. He was submissive to the government over him. He wanted to help. He wanted to build. He wanted to comfort. He wanted to strengthen. He wanted to encourage God's people. I have no one with his proven character that is a son with his father. He served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He hoped to send Timothy, this young evangelist, who would help them, who would bless them, who would comfort them, strengthen them, help them, heal them, encourage them, and inspire them. Are you preparing to do that? for a whole village or part of a city or perhaps a whole city or a whole nation as a government official, so to speak, and yet it's not the right term to use, as a king or priest, however great your territory, under the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, in a few years, can you learn to be this kind of servant, practicing servant leadership, to think, how can I help this other person? How can I help these other people around me? How can I help build God's church today? How can I help my brethren? How can I serve them? How can I help the new people? How can I help the widows who are alone and sometimes lonesome? How can I help the old people? How can I help the young people? How can I help the sick people? How can I help build the work of God and get this message out? Thinking about how can you help, can you give, can you serve, and using your time, your talents, your abilities, your resources, certainly your tithes and offerings, generously putting your being, your treasure, your life into the kingdom of God, knowing that you are to seek first God's kingdom above everything else. And then God will bless you. He will take care of you. But he will see if you're doing that today and building his church. Some people say, well, I got my feelings hurt over this or that. Oh, you did. How many of you have been gang raped over in Ethiopia? Well, like tens of thousands of women have been treated like that in various parts of Africa, Nigeria, and the Congo, and so forth. How many of you have been beaten to a pulp because you served Christ, left, un- left for dead as the Apostle Paul was there in Lystra because you served Christ? Someone said something you didn't like, you got your feelings hurt. Big deal. Get over it. Learn to see the big picture, my brethren. Have your mind on the coming government of God. And this church is preparing for that kingdom. And you can be prepared for that kingdom. And this church is better, perhaps, than any other place on earth. Understand. Understand God's government. Get behind it. 
get zealous about building that kind of character like Timothy had, whose desire was not to get his feelings hurt, not to get weak and turned off, but to serve his fellow man, to serve his brethren, to give of himself. We've all got to understand that. We've got to give of ourselves. We're going to be tried and we're going to be tested. Satan's going to come after us like a roaring lion. And we've got to learn not to let Satan get at us, but to have our mind on the big picture, but to help build the character that Timothy had, to give, to help, to serve our brethren now, and as we have opportunity as a leader in the church, to make wise decisions, to help others, to help others and make wise decisions in our own families, to use wisdom, to use kindness and mercy and patience, and have great humility to be part of the team that Jesus Christ is now preparing to be those kings and priests in tomorrow's world. Brethren, turn now, if you would, to Hebrews. I'm turning to the book of Hebrews now, chapter 12, the very end of this magnificent book of Hebrews that Mr. Armstrong used to preach about so often. Hebrews 12. Paul wrote, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us. Sin, vanity, rebellion, upset, hurt feelings, rebellion, and lust, and drunkenness, and wildness, the sin which does so easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to have endurance. We've got to have humility. We've got to have stick to looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured what? Someone saying something he didn't like? <laughs> he endured the cross. He endured people taking him and beating and tearing his hide off almost until he looked like raw hamburger even before the cross, as it describes in Isaiah 53. So he was marred such as no man. And then taken out a nail, big nails, pounded and pounded right in his arms and legs and nailed to a cross and hung there like an animal for six hours in the hot sun, writhing in pain. He was willing to go through that. He who had been God emptied himself to come into the human flesh to die for you and to me so we could be part of the very family of God. He was willing to do that to be our elder brother and to serve God the Father so that they could have more sons, more brothers, more friends as it is. And we are God's friends if we obey him and the family of God forever who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. God has glorified him forever because of that attitude of humility and service. For consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to blood striving against sin. Yes, brethren, you have not done that, most of you, and we know that. We've got to see the big picture as Jesus Christ did. So he showed them then we've got to endure chasting. He said, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it when God spanks you, when God corrects you through circumstances, through sickness, through upset, through being demoted, through correction, strong correction, perhaps even the ministry of the church or from the Bible. Don't despise God's correction, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves 
He doesn't chasten the one he hates, but the one he loves so we can make it, so we can be there and learn the lessons we need to learn. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. Do you endure chastening or do you get bitter or do you get your feelings hurt? Think about it. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? He says over in verse 14, endure peace or pursue peace. Verse 14, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You've got to be holy like God is holy. You've got to develop his character, his approach, his very life within you through the Holy Spirit. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. We've got to have God's grace, God's character within us. We need to prepare diligently to build that kind of character, brethren, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Some people become bitter. They leave God's church, they leave God's way of life, and they go on, and I'm frightened for them. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let that not happen to any of us, lest there be in any fornicator or profane, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Esau took God's blessing casually, lightly, carelessly, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He was willing to just chuck it off very quickly. He didn't appreciate God was giving him an awesome blessing if he had just been willing to do his part and remain faithful. But you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. He'd gone too far, though he saw it diligently with tears. For you, he writes, and I say to you, brethren, you have not come to the mountain that might be touched, that burned with fire and blackness and darkness. You've not come to physical Mount Sinai to get the letter of the law and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it made that they should not hear the word anymore. You've not come to that physical mountain where the mountain was shaking. And in verse 21, it was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Even Moses was scared to death. He'd never seen everything shake around him. God showed his power, and God is beginning to show his power now by beginning to intervene, brethren, this year and the years just ahead of us more powerfully than he's ever done in modern human history, and eventually more than he's ever done at any time. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. God is calling you to be part of his holy kingdom to finally be in the new Jerusalem, part of God's very family forever, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, awesome angels, archangels, cherubims, seraphim, and glory all around, a hundred million angels even heaven, heaven now, as the book of Revelation makes clear. The glory of God is awesome. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, or not in heaven, but our names are registered there, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. We're to join that assembly of coming thousands of people coming up out of the grave, righteous Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Samuel, David, Peter, and James, and John, and the apostle Paul, 
and the thousands of saints that have been in God's true church or God's will down through the time who will be resurrected, the spirits of just men made perfect. That's what you and I are being prepared. That's the group you're being prepared to join. We will be those leaders. We will be those kings and priests in a literal government soon to be set up. And we will be the spirits of just men made perfect. Please understand, do your part. Don't give up. Don't fall short. Never lose the zeal that you have and the commitment that you have to be part of that kingdom. He said in verse, uh, uh, going on in verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling. We need to always appreciate Christ shed blood for us. That speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who did refuse him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? How dare we turn away from the great God who is beginning to intervene in this earth and who speaks to us from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he's promised saying, yet once more I shake. There's going to be a shaking, brethren. I think all over this earth, a literal shaking more than you realize. Upset human events, drought, famine, disease epidemics, a spirit war coming, and literally, finally, every mountain and every island shaken out of its place. The book of Revelation tells us, not only on the earth, but in heaven. Also, the, he says this yet once more, the remo- it indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. This earth was going to be ended finally and a whole new heaven and new earth come as the things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, you and I are about to receive a kingdom if we're faithful if we persevere to the end, if we really get it, if we really surrender to the government of God and do our part and walk with God, talk with God, pray to God, commune with God and prepare for the kingdom of God. So we need to realize this. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace, God's character, His kindness, His love, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence, deep, profound respect and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Brethren, let's get ready for that kingdom. We're going to learn lessons in this festival day after day to work together, to submit to one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to pray for one another. And I hope we do it every day during this festival to have our mind on that coming kingdom. That's why we're here. This is the biggest purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles is to help you and me build that kind of character more fully. So we must really prepare in every way we can to be those coming kings that Christ is preparing. We have an awesome, magnificent future. We do, you do, I do, a future, a glorious future. Let us seize the moment and prepare for that future right now.